Oh, I actually, in the um podcast I was listening to, they do the mm-hmm. thing where they put like a blooper at the beginning of each episode. Yeah. And their blooper was their sync up thing, and they mm-hmm. count down from five and try to count at the same time. Let's try that. Okay. Five, five four, four, three. three. Two. Two, that doesn't one. work at all. How are we supposed I, to do that? We were from five to four. We had a good rhythm going, and then you slowed down. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Truthless, a sarcastic Stormlight podcast where we have an unfiltered discussion of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight archives. We go through every page of these huge books, offering commentary, light on the analysis, and heavy on the hot takes. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I am Anthony, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Josh. Josh, what is something interesting that has happened to you since the last time we talked? Well, Anthony, during the long hiatus that um, Truthless took, uh, Christmas came to town um and santa actually dropped off a late present um it is yes it is wrapped in red and blue santa wrapping paper and it says to the marketing team from the editing department so for those of you don't know i am the marketing team and anthony is the editing department and he dropped something off for me uh earlier today for me to unbox uh on the podcast so without further ado i'm going to open this up yeah i'm hyped for you to see that I found it on, um, it was on Redbubble. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And now unboxing. Okay, we got a roll. Seems to be a poster, maybe, of some yes. sort? A poster, indeed. Mm-hmm. And we're now pulling it out of the wrapper. It is... Wow, that is fucking amazing. Isn't it cool? God damn. Yeah, that is awesome. Holy crap, I'm hanging this right up in my room. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Josh, would you like okay. to describe it to our listeners? Yeah, so a way to describe it is um, a... So there is potentially a little bit of spoilers here. So I will do my best to avoid those spoilers. But it is a man standing wrapped in all white, holding a large black sword trailing smoke. Um, and it's sort of in a landscape shape with a bunch of mountains in the background. And in the other corner, there is what appears to be a girl crouched down looking at the assassin in white with a what appears to be sort of a tangling of vines with the head at her feet kind of looking up at her. So that is an amazing poster, Anthony. Thank you so much for this. this oh, my gosh. Right up I couldn't even wall. figure out what. Wait, show that to me. I couldn't even figure okay, out what yeah, that was in the corner. Yeah. And now I think I, I know. know. Exactly yeah, I was looking at that. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now yeah. that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, so very cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anthony. I'm going to put this away very delicately. Yeah, I was, I was just looking for Stormlight merch, and I know mm-hmm. that's your favorite character, so I was like, yes, yes poster. Yeah, that's freaking perfect. And that one just looked super sick. That's going right up on my dorm. Okay. Now, let's get into the nitty gritty. Yeah, finally, after, you know, however many months, we're finally getting back <laughs> into it. It's very exciting. Um, So, way back when, last time we had our first guest on the show, it was our friend Ben, and we covered Chapter 15, The Decoy, which was all about um the relationships between Dalinar, Sadius, the rest of the whole royal contingent. 
Today, we're going to be covering chapters 16 and 17, which is a Kaladin backstory chapter followed by a Kaladin present day chapter. And as always, we will do our best to keep it spoiler free. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to get back into it. So am I. I. I'm super pumped. So without further ado, ready to get started? Let's do it. Okay, so chapter 16, Cocoons, which is a Kaladin flashback chapter. So um, flashback to seven and a half years ago, and Cal is discussing his father sending him to Carbonk to become a surgeon with his neighbor and childhood friend, Laurel. Notably, Laurel is the light-eyes daughter of the town's nobleman, in contrast to Cal's dark-eyes heritage. Um, internally, Cal struggles with his father's desires for him to become a surgeon and his own desire to become a soldier. He also re- wrestles with his newfound feelings for Laurel. Um, as he discusses his future plans with Laurel, Cal's younger brother, Tien, gives him a rock that, when wetted, comes alight with intricate patterns in order to cheer up the dreary Cal. The three of them then search for lungs, which are small bug-like creatures on the rocks that they are perched on. Um, after making their way back to town, Cal finds a few other boys hanging around. After an awkward exchange, they ask Cal if a dark eyes be- can become a light eyes, and Cal explains that they can if they kill a shard bearer. Unfortunately, Cal offends one of the boys, Jost, when Cal um, insinuates that Jost's father may be misrem- misremembering his encounter with a potential shard bearer. Jost challenges him to a quarterstaff duel. Um, after being trounced by Jost, Cal snaps and attacks him quickly, noting that the weapon feels right in his hands. Unfortunately, Jost's actual training allows him to regain the upper hand and quickly defeats Cal. Cal asks Jost to train him, but Jost refuses, noting that Cal is destined to be a uh, doctor. The chapter ends with Cal returning home to the news that the town's city lord, uh, Wistiao, Laurel's father, has died. Yeah. Lots happening in this chapter, but before we get into any of what's actually happening in this chapter, I want to look at the page before it yes. in the book. We got the an image of the, uh, it's like a poster describing the Alethi Codes of War, which have mm-hmm. been mentioned in some of the Dalinar chapters, and it has it, like instructions for how to act yeah. during wartime. Mm-hmm. It also, it's very intricate and almost looks like a propaganda poster. Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. The content is like, don't be drunk on the job, and uh, wear your uniform so you look official, and stuff like that. But that's not at all what I'm interested in. They also have these little pictures in the corners, which I saw and was entranced by. Um, I'll describe them in order. The top left has, it looks like two people dueling, and one of them is swinging a sword downward onto the other one, and the other one appears to have caught it in between his palms in a sort of clapping motion and part of me was like this is foolish that's there's no way that is ever used in battle right yeah it's kind of goofy but we'll see if this comes up again later in the series Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a little foreshadowing for you the next one the next one is even funnier it's like the the attacker is doing a sort of similar thing like a downward strike with a sword but this time the defending guy is just floating in midair off to the side with his legs on top of each other, like that like lotus pose in yoga. Yeah, like crisscross applesauce. And he's just hanging out like three feet in the air. And my note was, what the hell is going on here? That's not a training tactic you can like teach to someone. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, not sure what those have to do with the codes of war. <laughs> New. I thought it was very funny. Also, yeah. um, the one immediately below that is just two people uh, dueling with weapons. One of them looks like a sword, and one of them looks like a really big dinner knife. Um, 
which yeah, I just thought like was a, spear, a little funny. But about like a third of the shaft has been converted into just like a giant blade. Like it's not, it's definitely not a traditional spear. It's like, it's like a steak knife. Like it has the yeah. shape of an enormous steak knife. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I also, this is not how I imagine any of the Alefti soldiers looking. Like they're no, dressed in like, it almost looks like my historical like medieval plate and mail is not accurate, but it almost looks like maybe Middle Eastern sort of armor. I have no idea. Like that's where that kind of armor would come from. Yeah, that's my kind of guess. Um, it doesn't look like, you know, traditional European or, like, Vikings or, like, samurai mm. armor. It kind of looks Middle Eastern, which is, that's not what I imagine what the armor looks like, especially because, you know, they always mention having, like, the long blue coats and stuff. Um, mm. And this is kind of, like, I don't know, like, chain mail with, like, that looks like mm -hmm. splints. Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know. Well, but also, like, the, the codes were written, like, a long time ago, right? And they've yeah. supposedly advanced to more, I, I, I think of chain mail as pretty low on the technological totem pole of armor so maybe this yeah. was back when that's all they had mm -hmm. okay yeah now that i'm thinking about it, also the dude on the bottom has two swords which nobody yeah, fights with that two too. swords like that's the only time fucking anybody fights with two swords is uh in game of thrones where the, right. the sir arthur dane i think sir his name arthur is, dane. fights with two swords yep. which in in the books in george R. R. martin's books he does not even fight with two swords because that just doesn't that doesn't work they just wanted to make it look <laughs> really cool for the show and show, like, dude, this guy's such much, such a better swordsman than everybody else. So I don't know why that guy has two swords. Nobody ever does it. It's not... You, you can't fight effectively with two swords. It's just... It looks no, cool. it's mystifying. But, yeah, that, that's not how it works. Yeah. Lots, lots of questions about this poster here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. The chapter itself. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. This... The entire vibe of this chapter, for me, was super middle school like i think yeah. if it's seven yeah. and a half years ago cal's like what 12 13 oh mm -hmm. it it gave me huge middle school vibes yeah they're talking about like puberty and we got like mm -hmm. kind of bullies almost and kids doing mm -hmm. stupid things it's his first crush yeah and i knew it was his first crush because um he's describing laurel's hair in detail and like Kaladin doesn't give a shit about anyone's hair. Like, the only yeah. person in this book so far that describes, like, fashion is Adolin. Kal mm -hmm. Kaladin has no no hoots to give about yeah. anyone's hair. So if he's describing someone's hair, that's how you know he's in love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I thought, I thought that it was done really well, especially because it's like, he made it, Brandon Sanderson made it obvious that, like, they both like each other almost, but mm -hmm. both, like, like subtly. Because for mm -hmm. Kaladin, you know, he's kind of, like, describing, like, oh, I'm getting these feelings because uh, I'm getting older than my dad described me. Puberty in great detail. And it's like, all right, fucking, we were in, <laughs> really had to go into that great detail with him, whatever. Um, but then the whole, like, kind of one of the whole conflicts is chapters, Laurel is, like, she wants, selfishly, she wants Kaladin to become a soldier. Um, mm -hmm. And she's always like, you, you know, you got to become a soldier so you can win shard plate. Um, because if you win shard plate in battle by killing a shard bear, then you gain the shard plate and shard blade. Um, and then you also become a light eyes. And if Callan become a light eyes, then the two of them could marry because Laurel is the daughter of basically like the mayor of this town who's, you know, a light eyes. So she couldn't marry like this random dark eyes dude, most likely. So she's like, ah, become a soldier. So, you know, we can elope <laughs> right no it's definitely interesting i i i was irritated on kaladin's behalf because he's definitely having some like inner conflict here and he's like oh i want to impress this girl but she's telling me to do one thing my dad's telling me to do another thing mm -hmm. and it becomes challenging for him to figure out all those emotions but 
Yeah, good point. That Laurel's just trying to get him to become a light eye so that they can yeah. be together, which is cute. Laurel kind of sucks, not gonna lie. I agree. She's like, go to war, risk death, so we can marry. Like, okay, Laurel. And she's like, I don't like being around you when you're all sad, when you're all depressed. <laughs> like, I like I understand that, you know, a 12-year-old or whatever is not going to have an extensive knowledge of mental illness, but that's still, like, a messed up thing to say. Like, come on. I know. I mean, I can't blame her too much because she's yeah. also, like, 12 and is the mayor's daughter so probably a little spoiled but yeah it, you make a great point that this is one of our first instances of learning that Kaladin probably has chronic depression because he's mm-hmm. describing he just gets these really down moods yeah yeah man you might be above it but I'm not above dunking on these 12 year old characters like come on don't be a dickhead <laughs> well you know who's not a dickhead is little brother Tien yeah he is adorable mm-hmm. um and he's going around looking at rocks um, which I did. I collect rocks. I I have a fair couple of rocks? rocks in my room. If I am like walking on the beach and I see a pretty rock, yeah, I'll pick it up and I'll take it home. You know, that's fair. I thought you meant like you were actively going out there searching for rocks to just well, put in no. like a collection. And I was like, okay, well that. Eh. I guess. Well, <laughs> actually, now that I think of it, all of Roshar is rocks. Yeah, that's uh, true. Like, there's no soil here, so I guess Tian it would be the equivalent of him just like walking around being like hey that's a nice piece of grass let me take it home yeah yeah fair enough i mean you'd be right at home at roshar then where you can go and collect rocks from (laughs) the random beaches and stuff he's so cute though he's looking for his rocks and i imagine you know that uh crusty crab pizza episode of spongebob of course it's not a boulder it's a rock yeah this isn't a pebble it's a pebble that turns into a sparkly thing when it gets wet (laughs) right yeah I was thinking, like, most of, like, the wildlife and other world-building things have, like, a purpose to them. I'm, I was trying to think, what is the purpose of these rocks turning sparkly when it when it rains? That's just what rocks do. I don't, I'm not convinced it's a sparkly rock. If you, like, have a dry rock and then you make it wet, it, like, the oh. colors just pop. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. Like, specific kinds of, like, what kind of rock would that be? What we got sedimentary, igneous, and... Metamorphic. Anamorphic. Metamorphic. Metamorphic. Animorphs. Yeah. Animorphs not, is that not, book series. Not the books where the, the kids <laughs> turn into animals. Um, that would be a pretty cool kind of rock, though. This has been Natural Sciences Corner with Anthony Murphy Nielsen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. I now that I think about it, I know what you're talking about. It's not quite as spectacular as I had imagined. Which makes it all the more sweet because he's so excited about it. I think it's cute. For sure. And they go and look for these weird bugs that, like, web themselves up. Yeah, those are not cute. Those things are terrifying. Yeah? Yes. I don't think they're terrifying. They're pretty small. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't do well with bugs. Oh, yeah, because you, you hate bugs. Yeah. I don't hate bugs. I'm scared of bugs. Yeah, that's uh, fair. He was not a fan of when the cicadas came, like, two summers ago. Oh, oh my God. As this summer, I'm scarred. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was this summer. Yeah. And I had to take care of Ben's dog for like a week while they were all out of town. And I had to take him on these long walks during the day. And the cicadas, oh, oh, it was bad. Oh, God. Bad, yeah, folks. I remember going for runs and just getting completely dive-bombed by them. <laughs> I think my record was like eight, I believe, just dive-bombed me while I was running. It sucked. At least we That's weren't dive-bombed up. by like whatever the fuck these things are. What are they? Lurgs. L- Lurgs. Lurgs. Yeah. Yeah. What do they do? There's a description of them in here somewhere. I guess they aren't technically bugs, because right here it says, The lurg had six legs that it used to grip to the stone, and its eyes were in the center of its back. It hopped off the stone, searching for insects. So I guess it's not technically an insect, because it's looking for insects to eat. 
Do you think insects don't eat other insects? Yeah, they could. But I feel like the way he described it, it's like, this isn't an insect. It could be. I don't know. It's a bug-like creature. Whatever. But everything's a bug-like creature here, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, another another interesting point about Tien there is he, he, Callan mentions that he always cheers him up when he is feeling down, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. good good for Tien, finding him rocks and bugs and stuff. I know. He's just a sweet, sweet little boy, and he helps out his de- depressed bigger boy brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, probably my favorite scene from this chapter, honestly, is Cal. They, you know, they're walking back and they see this group of what I think it was nine other boys, and I think Laurel is like, "Oh, hey, I wonder why they're not out worming because most of the you know dark-eyed children of dark eyes are just going to be farmers, so they mm-hmm. they are already be working on you know worming the fields and doing other things like that." While Kaladin just gets to kind of chill and learn how to be a surgeon because he his Family is of, I believe, second Don, which is, like, higher than so. normal light eyes. Um, so okay. he gets a little bit more privilege in that fact. So Laurel's like, oh, I wonder why they aren't worming the fields. And then Kaladin goes up and he's like, hey, guys, why aren't you worming the fields? And then they see, like, okay, this little prick comes up and is like, why aren't you working when his bitch ass doesn't have to work at all? And then Kaladin says mm. it and he's instantly like, ah, fuck. Like, damn, <laughs> should not have said that. And, you know, it just makes sense. It just seems like a very organic reaction. And then they're kind of just like, they don't really like him. And they're like having a conversation. And then he pisses them off more. And the dude's like, all right, we squaring up right now. Let's go. That's a great way of describing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Cal's just trying to like be curious and nice. But yeah, all the rest of the boys think that he thinks he's above them. Mm-hmm. And it gets ugly. Yeah. So they're talking about how... If a dark eyes kills a shard bear, he becomes a light eyes because they're like, oh, we want to become light eyes. And Jost mentions that his father, when he was a soldier, um, because Jost's father trained Jost to like, you know, use a staff and stuff. And he's like, when he was a soldier, he actually killed a, I think he said he killed a shard bear, but then he got knocked out and somebody took the shards from him. And Laurel's like, hmm. bullshit, bro. Like that shit did not happen. And she's like, tell him, Cal. And Cal is like, oh, yeah, well, actually, at the at the bottom of your father was that technically there were no shard burgers there. So that is, there's no way that could happen. And then Joseph's like, bro, shut shut the hell up. All right, let's go. Rob kicking your ass, bro. Like, that's just how it is. And Cal is like, damn, he's right. That is how it is. Like, I insulted his honor. Now now we fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget that Jost has a brother named Jest, yeah. which... On one hand, not the most creative naming for two brothers, mm-hmm. but also I hope they're twins and people just confuse them all yeah. the time. That'd be cool. Yeah, Jess actually he helped me out because I was like, "Fuck!" I feel like this is one of those names where Brandon would be like, "It's pronounced Yost," but I was like, "There's no way it's Yost and <laughs> Yost and Yest." Yeah, it's got to be Jost and Jest. So th- thanks for adding that one in, so I know how to pronounce the names. <laughs> Another thing that I noticed that I thought was pretty cool um, is they they were talking about callings. Um, which I think we've touched on them before, but it's basically mm. um, what your calling is what the Almighty slash God calls you to do, and it's kind of your job and how you help society. Um, and they basically talk about how the highest, I think it's the highest calling, is to be a soldier um, and to go to war. And mm-hmm. then they also mention that they need lots of soldiers for when, after you die, you go to the trampoline halls, which is like heaven, to uh, fight for the heralds which are basically like angels in this case. And I thought that was like great world building. I really enjoyed that because it's like you have to motivate people to go to war somehow, right? You need mm. soldiers, especially in medieval and like pre-medieval times. You need just a shit ton of soldiers to um, go to battle for you because, you know, you're going to be fighting a bunch of other civilizations. 
Um, so the fact that they have that built in, it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's your calling. Like, this is the greatest calling is to go die for nobles um, and to go die for nobles so you can, you know, fight after death and stuff. It's like, oh, that's how they convince the general rabble to become soldiers. Yeah, I mean, it's clever, and it works because everyone wants to fight each other in mm-hmm. Alethkar. Yep, yeah, they use religion rather than, like, patriotic, patrioticism? Patrioticism? Patriotism? Yeah, patriotism. One thing we skimmed over a little bit, though, is the idea of becoming a Light Eyes if you kill a Sharbear is that, like, you, you're the color of your eyes will actually change if you have shards. And someone asks some question about this, and Kaladin says, uh, Sure, it can happen, Father says. Wealthy, dark-eyed merchants may marry low-born light-eyes and join their family, then maybe have light-eyed children, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, and I was like, whoa! It happens. It, what? Where's the Punnett Square? Someone show me the <laughs> recessive and dominant genes to make this happen. Because I was wondering about this in a previous episode. I was like, how... What? I'm just confused. I need to know, like... The how many light eyes there are in proportion to dark eyes, how they can like perpetuate this society based on the ratios of different demographics, I and if this actually happens like in the world sometimes where there's like intermarrying, I I just need a whole backstory on that. Please, Brandon Sanderson, put it on my desk. There definitely is. Yeah, there's no way that we don't have some Romeo and Juliet stories where Romeo's light eyes and Juliet's dark eyes. In this world, I think we just kind of haven't like seen it. I want to see it. I feel like that's a that'd be a prime um, in between chapters thing. Mm, mm-hmm. God, I'm not, I can't even remember what they're called now. It's been so long. Interlude. Yeah, the interludes, like the story of a uh, a dark eyes with the light eyes married or mm. whatever. Yeah, well, we almost see it here with uh, Kaladin and Laurel. Too bad they're only thirteen mm. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the more I, I look at this chapter again well the less sympathy i have for laurel a little bit i it just gives me such middle school vibes there's this one uh go off go off on this 12 year old (laughs) there's one instance where laurel starts laughing and cal is listening to it and it says cal frowned that was a different kind of laughter than he normally heard from her much more subdued and kind of annoying and i'm like oh it it (sighs) the mean girl laugh sort of yeah it's just i remember in middle school like people being not what they said they were or acting different ways around different people. And it was always so irritating to me and confusing. And Calvin feels the same way. I'm like, oh, my boy, it's okay. Middle school is only two years. Then high school is better. Very relatable. Of course, not for him. <laughs> yeah. Instead of high school, man just goes to war and becomes a slave. <laughs> that's, that's rough. That is rough. Lots of emotions for me in this chapter because it was just so relatable. Mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, you know in that uh, fourth Harry Potter movie where they have the Yule Ball and it's like yeah, the greatest scene in film because it perfectly encapsulates how everyone feels at a school dance? Well, okay, sure. I, I love that scene. Well, we'll go with that. And I, <laughs> My opinion on it has changed many times as I have become a more adult person, but now I look at it and I'm like, ah, yes, it's such a great uh, like summary of how teenagers do and this is the very same vibes. It's just super great at explaining all the prepubescent drama of mm-hmm. 12-year-olds. Yeah, for sure. I also like how when Cal gets challenged, he just basically, like, he gets his ass beat, and then he's like, ah, rage. And then he, like, gets, like, two hits in, and then he gets his ass beat because the other dude's actually trained. It's like, thank God. Like, that's what happened. Like, a random untrained person never, ever, ever, ever beats somebody who's actually trained. 
Mm. Like, it reminded me of fucking uh, Star Wars 7, where, uh, spoilers for fucking uh, The Force Awakens, if you haven't seen that movie yet, came out in, like, 2013, so, eh, what, what are you doing? At the end of the movie, like, Finn goes to fight Kylo Ren, and Kylo Ren, like, fucking hit, kills him in, like, two hits. Not kills him, but beats him and is like, bro, who is this? And then Rey's stupid ass comes and beats him in a lightsaber duel when she has never held a lightsaber to her entire life. And, like, Kylo Ren's whole point is he was trained by Luke Skywalker at a school for Jedi, and then, like, he killed all the other trainees because he was better than them at fighting. Um, and beats, I, I guess he beats Luke too. I don't know. It's never really elaborated on. But then some random girl just beats him in a lightsaber fight. And it's like, huh? Like she doesn't have but any she's training. she's special, Josh. But it, she's the uh, main character though. Yeah, but it's it's just stupid. I like how they didn't do that here. Just write something different in your movie. Yeah, it's like in episode five. Like Darth Vader destroys Luke. Like he's like, of course he does. Darth Vader's like the freaking most powerful guy ever. And Luke has been training for, like, a month and a half. Like, of course he gets his ass beat. No, I agree. I think it's smart for the person who's never had any training to get their ass beat. What I don't think is fun is how Cal's, like, down on the ground. And Mm -hmm. Laurel's, like, now disgusted with him because he didn't win this fight. Mm -hmm. That that made me sad. He's never had any training. Hey, 13-year-olds are going to be 13-year-olds. Shame. They should stop it. Yeah, I mean, Cal was like, oh, I could run away. And then he sees Laurel and he's like, damn, I kind of got to fight. Like, I can't chicken out right now with her watching. <sighs> but yeah, I don't know. You got any more thoughts on this chapter? That's most of my thoughts. It's just, it's good backstory for Cal. It, like, tells you mm-hmm. what kind of situation he's in growing up. It gives you some background on his relationship with his little brother, who's mm-hmm. the sweetest of boys. And it gives you his background with Laurel, who's not necessarily the sweetest of 12-year-old girls, but is still a 12-year-old girl. And it shows you the first time that Cal fights. Mm-hmm. And maybe one thing we did gloss over a little bit is, well, you said, like, the weapon feels right in his hand yeah. or something. He does have, like, a, he vibes with it. He's like, ooh, this could be, this could be my new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it establishes that Cal really likes being a soldier. Because up until mm-hmm. this point, for the flashbacks, it's like, oh, how do you become a soldier? And it's like, ah, there, there it is. He really likes fighting. Indeed. But I think that about wraps up this chapter. Let us move on to chapter 17, A Bloody Red Sunset. Bit ominous. Okay, so this is a present-day Kaladin chapter. This starts with Kaladin visiting the apothecary. He approaches this somewhat shady character and attempts to buy medical supplies from him, such as bandages and antiseptic. Um, Bridgemen aren't allowed supplies from the camp's medical hall, so Kaladin has to spend almost all of his money and still doesn't have enough for antiseptic. Eventually, he leaves the apothecary and heads back to his barracks, but just as he gets here, the battle horns blow, and he has to go on a bridge run. Throughout the run, he attempts to be a leader and lead his men, but they have very limited response. Eventually, they reach the battle plateau, and it looks like it's going to be a bad one, Uh, but Kaladin insists on running right at the front in the most dangerous position because he thinks that's the best way to lead. He manages to survive the initial assault, and instead of collapsing from exhaustion, he spends the rest of the chapter frantically tending to the wounded men from his crew and trying to save lives with his medical training and his new supplies. Some he manages to keep alive, and others are less fortunate. It's the policy of the army, though, to leave behind any bridgemen who aren't able to carry the bridge. However, Kaladin refuses to abide by this, and the chapter really ends with him threatening to kill his superior unless they're allowed to take their wounded back to the camp. 
so we started off strong here uh, with Taladin visiting the apothecary, and he's just straight up, oh, bro, I got date rape drugs for you if you want that shit. Whoa! I was like, whoa! Not... You didn't notice that? I did not interpret it bro. that way. That Bro, that's definitely what it was. It literally says, the apothecary's like, ah, young Bridgman, come for a ward against danger, perhaps? Or maybe a young washwoman in the camp has caught your eye. I have a potion for which, if slipped into her drink, oh, damn. will make her regard you with favor. There's been no, like, references in the books to, like, magic potions or anything. Just, like, everything else is pretty grounded in reality besides the magic we have. So I think that's that's pretty obviously, like, a, a date rape thing. Yes, now that you say that, it is very yeah. obvious. My defense is that... Okay, yeah, if I had paid more attention to slipped into her drink <laughs> yeah bro. now i feel kind of silly yeah. but it says we'll make her regard you with favor and he's obviously trying to be like some m- mystical guy to draw attention to himself so the yeah. vibe i got was like love potion instead of drugs mm-hmm. but yeah you're right uh i hate this guy now yeah he's in a pocket there he's not like he's not like a potion master guy he's like supplying like uh like natural like herbs and remedies and stuff yeah, yeah, honestly, that that was like I feel like that's one of the least branded Sanderson lines in any of his books because that's like <laughs> for those of you who don't know he's like he's like a Mormon. We probably mentioned that before, but he tries to keep his books like very like PG thirteen relative, mm. and it's why people have said if George R. R. Martin passes away, will you finish Game of Thrones? Because he finished Wheel of Time after Robert Jordan passed away, and he's been like, no, there's like too much like sex and horrible things in those books. Um, cause he just doesn't like writing about that kind of stuff. He thinks that it like takes away from his like, you know, kind of brand or message. Uh, don't quote me on that last part, but, um, he doesn't like writing about those stuff in any case. So I was like, dang, yeah, straight up going with the, uh, the, <laughs> that, that little slipping that in there, Brandon. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he didn't even notice. Maybe he just wrote that and was so yeah, oblivious like me that he was like, oh, it's a love potion. Yeah, that's fair. Uh-huh. That's fair enough. Yeah, he could just be thinking like, "Oh, it's the uh, he's just in a pocket theory guy." Like, you know, he's a he's a crazy alchemist or whatever. But um, yeah, I like the the apothecary for what little we see of him. Yeah, he, I mean, he's well, I don't like him anymore. But it is an yeah. interesting sort of shtick he has going on because he's mm-hmm. trying to be all mystical and mysterious. And I think he even like pretends to be older than he yes. is because yeah, the very beginning of the chapter, Sil is like, "Oh my god, is how is that guy still alive?" But then, um, Kaladin is like. I don't want your love potions. I want, mm-hmm. like, bandages and antiseptic, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, oh, okay, he knows sort of what he's talking about, yeah. so I'll yep. drop the facade. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was going to say. The puck theory's like, oh, this this guy, he's, he's a surgeon. He knows what he's talking about. I, I I don't need to, like, con him into buying something stupid. Like, he's here for some specific things, so I'll sell them to him. And that's actually, that reminds me of a scene from Game of Thrones. I know I bring it up so much. This is actually a deleted scene, so I don't know if you've seen it, Anthony, but there's a scene where Grandmaster Pycelle, who is this old, um, he's an old sort of like religious man, um, and his kind of shtick is he acts like super old and decrepit, and like everybody is like, oh, Grandmaster Pycelle, that dude's a moron. Um, But it's hinted to in the show, and you'll pick up on it if you're paying attention, but there's actually a whole deleted scene where he's talking to Tywin Lannister, who's like one of the biggest, like most powerful lords in the city um and he like goes up to tywin and starts like you know doing his his normal shtick where he like can barely talk and he's like all hunched over and tywin's like come on bro like drop drop the act and then he like stands up straight and starts talking like a normal person and it's like holy shit what the hell like this is a guy who for you know two and a half seasons or whatever we've seen as like this old man who can't do anything who just like sucks like everybody hates that guy and it's like oh shit that's all an act to make us underestimate him 
And he's like, sometimes I forget what I really am in my act or whatever. And it's like, damn. And that, that's what that, this scene reminded me of. I feel like that would be a fun scene to keep in. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Wonder why they deleted it. I'm not sure. I, I think like some of the mentions was they wanted it to be kind of more subtle, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have been better if they kept it in. Because like, on my first rewatch, I didn't notice that Picel was like actually kind of competent. Because, you know, King's Landing, it's like if you fuck up once, you die. So that's like one of his like ways to like protect himself. Oh, true. Oh, true. Yeah. Smart. But yeah, then they start talking about the economics of medicine and all this stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. do I pick the low-hanging fruit? I do. American healthcare system. Am I right? Fist bump. Epic. Americans owned epic style. There's so many problems in this, like, the, well, in the American healthcare system, yes. But in the Rosharn healthcare system, in this work camp, they don't give medical supplies to Bridgman the same way they give it to soldiers. They, like, aren't allowed to go get stuff from, like, the hospital, basically, which is terrible. It's so bad. Yeah, well, they still care. I know, yeah. They're like, whatever, they're going to die anyways. It's so wrong. So Callan has to go buy it for a ludicrous price from this apothecary. And the nice thing about that, though, is we get our first, um, like, unit conversion in Rosharan money in this scene. (laughs) Callan says it's five diamond marks to a garnet. Thank there God. we go. Start making your yeah. charts. Finally, use that. To, it's, I swear to God, there's going to be a bunch of little hints, and it's going to be like one of those logic puzzles that you had to solve in like elementary <laughs> school or middle school. Yeah, spread out uh, uh, between 10, 1,200-page uh, books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the money system's in there somewhere. I feel like at this point, like he's just not putting in there because he doesn't want to like... He's like, ah, crap. Like This is going to be so complicated, and it, it probably has a... I guess if he messed it up at one point, everybody would be like, plot hole, plot hole. So I guess there is some sort of advantage to him keeping it sort of ambiguous. I know, I know. Like, But if you know people are going to be doing that, then you could have had, like, in one of the images, like that Alephi Warcodes poster. Yeah, that's true. Just to make, like, a a banking chart for spheres. That would be And then all the questions will be answered. Yeah. That would be a perfect use for one of these images. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. Couldn't be us. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to read my own handwriting. What the fuck does that say, man? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so there is a little, um, sort of a little offhand comment that the soul casters are secretive and all the soul castings happen at night. It's like Cal mm. and all the other people don't entirely know what happened. But I think that's pretty cool. It's like, dang, these soul casters who literally transform one form of matter into another form of matter, they like keep it secret from the general populace. Um, and there's there's decent recent reason for that if you continue reading the books um, as to why they do that. But mm. um, yeah, I I made a note on that too. They call it like a a holy rite or ritual or something. Uh, yeah, because it's all tied up in the church, and that's sort of how they keep power over, or they keep the soul casters like tied to mm-hmm. organized. Religion. Yeah, that's true. That's probably a big way to boost up the uh, the church. Is like okay, well, mm-hmm. if the church controls all the soul casters, then they have to you know stay in power. You can't just kick the church out or whatever because they control the soul casters, which are vital to, you know, the supplies of the armies and all that other good stuff. Uh, architecture, right. blah, blah, blah. That's true. Brings yeah. in a lot, of, a lot of money for them. But anyway, so uh, he has his visit to the apothecary, and then after he gets his meager supply of bandages, he's walking back to the barracks, and right as he gets there, the horns go off and it's time mm-hmm. to go on a bridge run, which, ah, the timing, terrible. Yeah, sucks. It was like a mythical horn that was said to guide the souls of the brave to heaven's battlefield. 
and then Kaladin freezes, and it's like, God damn it. Yeah, so then and Kaladin, it, he goes, and he's like, all right, men, like, let's do this. And they all just ignore him. They're all like, who is this guy? Like, this asshole again? God. Yeah, really no one's paying attention to him. Yeah, yeah, and then he's like, I'm the bridge leader now. And he mentions that the bridge leader gets to go in the back um, for the, for the, uh, the final assault. Um, and I thought that it was, it was a really good idea that, um, first of all, when they are resting, he stands up the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of show his troops, like, all right, look, like, I'm strong, like, I can do this. Um, and then when the final assault comes, he's like, get the fuck out of my way. Like, I'm running in the front. Like, I'm the leader. Like, of course, I'm going to run in the front. Um, I would not ask my troops to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Like, that that whole sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I have mixed emotions about that one. Like, I agree with all of the leadership stuff he does in here, mm-hmm. except for maybe that one, because it's just so... Like, the chances of you coming out of that alive are, like, 1%. Yeah. And, obviously, he's, like, he doesn't care super much about, about his life right now. But still, like, if, you're tr- if your true goal is to save these guys, then you got to have some sense of self-preservation so that you can stick around yeah. and help them. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, the whole point is that he's, like, hopeless. Like, he's just, like, whatever. Like, uh, this is the best way to increase my leadership with my crew, so I'm going to do it. Because, remember, he, like, his whole mentality at this point is, I died back in the chasm. So he's mm-hmm. like, whatever. Like, I'm on borrowed time anyways. Like, let's go in the front, and then at least everybody will respect me. So That's true. I, I guess it works out. Sense. And he does yep. stay alive. So, I mean, people are going to start yeah. looking at him like he's magical, which mm-hmm. they do exactly. later in the book. And then he, uh, he goes and Hacksaw Ridges all his men. For those of you who haven't seen that movie, <laughs> it's uh, Andrew Garfield. He is a soldier in, um, I think, it was World War II. Um, and the whole first half of the movie, he's talking about, like, I'm a soldier, but I'm not going to have a gun. Like, I'm just going to be a medic. And everybody's like, haha, look at this idiot. And then, um, right at, like, it's, it's an awesome movie because right at the halfway point where it's, like, transferred from training camp into the war, it's like a freaking, you get whiplash. It goes from just like, oh, like, you know, we're, 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 you know, at this camp, like, learning how to be soldiers and, like, ah, oh, let's bully the guy who doesn't want a gun to, holy shit, there's dead bodies everywhere, explosions, all this crap, no man's land. And what he does basically is after he just goes in and he walks through, gets to get, it basically gets injured men out over and over. And he just keeps going back and forth, getting injured men. And that's what this reminded me of Kaladin just going and getting the injured mm-hmm. men. And woo, one of the bridgemen helps him out. Rock. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's definitely exactly what it is. He, he drags himself out of the way of fire mm-hmm. as all the bridgemen who survived the initial run do. But then, he keeps going back and forth to try to get the injured ones out. And Rock, as you said, eventually joins him. Rock is the person who was going to be in the front row until Kaladin was like, you're in my spot. I'm leading the charge. Yeah. Um, so Rock is grateful to Kaladin for probably saving his life and mm-hmm. helps him out with the uh, medical side of things. Yeah, and I think it shows that these Bridgemen, they're not necessarily you no know, bad people. I think they're just generally apathetic, right? right? They're just like, yeah. whatever, like, we're all going to die anyway, so why am I going to help them? So Kaladin mm-hmm. has to inspire them to get back to, like, their normal selves um, and the normal kind of basic human, like, instinct of, you know, helping each other. Yep. And these are the first steps. You got Rock helping you out, and you also have uh, Teft, who mm-hmm. joins. In the, yeah, he, like, gives uh, him water and stuff effort. while he's healing mm-hmm. uh, the men. So something else I thought that was kind of cool is when Kaladin doesn't manage to save them all. I think it was Gadul, Gadol. 
um yeah he dies bit. and he has a death rattle yeah he says you know one of those weird quotes that were happening at, in all the uh, epigraphs at the beginning of the previous section of the book and that's like when i because I, I i've mentioned this before but for the epigraphs on my first read i was like what the fuck are all these like i don't care i kind of skipped them but when i saw gadul to have a death rattle i was like oh look look at the thing like that the so that that's what those were <laughs> That's like a, that's almost exactly what I wrote in my notes. Like ah, and there here it is. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah is, and it's creepy stuff. too. Like uh-huh. this guy is like despondent and bleeding out on the ground, and all of a sudden yeah. he like sits up and is yelling at you. For uh-huh. it. Uh, yeah, scary stuff. Yeah, that'd be great in a live action scene. I feel like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely very unnerving. Um, and then oh my, probably my favorite part of the chapter is at the end. The bridgemen are mentioned, like, they're not going to let us carry the wounded back. Like, it's pointless. They're bridgemen. And Calvin's like, nah, guys, yeah. I got this. And then Gaz is like, bro, bro, you can't bring these wounded bridgemen back. And Calvin's like, here's, like, a quarter or whatever. Gaz is like, bro, a quarter? Like, that's your bribe. Like, no. And then Calvin's like, bro, if you don't, I will kill you and let them kill me. And Gaz is just like, fuck. Like, goddamn. Like, okay, God, fine. <laughs> you win. I thought that was badass. It was super badass. Especially because he's been doing, like, medical work and trying to heal gravely injured people. So he's, like, yeah. covered in blood. Yeah. And he's an intimidating figure. Mm-hmm. It also, one funny little thing I noticed, um, when Calvin says, I will kill you and let them execute me, it says, Gaz blinked in surprise. And uh, didn't he uh, wink in surprise because he uh, uh, only has one eyeball? Uh, <laughs> good one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, other than that, I, that, that pretty much wraps up uh, what I wanted to say about this chapter. You got anything else? Well, before we get to the end, we have something to discuss. Okay. And it is time. I am baffled by how long a Rosharan day is. Because let's consider. In the morning, Kaladin wakes up. He does, several chapters ago, this whole thing where he like trains for several hours carrying this bridge, a uh, piece of a bridge back and mm-hmm. forth. And then... He goes and talks to the apothecary. That takes a while. Mm. Then he comes back. Then they go on the bridge run. And it says that they traveled across many plateaus. The armies had a long battle. And by the time they're wrapping up their battle, it's like starting to become evening. So I feel like it takes so long to do all these things. Yeah, well, okay. Let's do some math here. Let's say he wakes up. Let's say he wakes up at 8 a.m. Right, just All just right. to just to throw a day at, uh, a time out there for you. So he gets up, he eats or whatever, um, and then you know I think there's the little thing with the bridgeman where he like you know like was like okay like we're training and everybody's like shut up nerd. And then let's say he trains for like three hours, right? That brings us to we'll say twelve, um, mm-hmm. and then we'll say he eats lunch for half an hour or whatever, and then goes to the apothecary. We'll say that takes like I mean that's not gonna take more than like an hour hour and a half, right? That mm-hmm. brings us to what one thirty. PM. Sure. So, including lunch, we say it takes an hour, um, and then the horn blows immediately when he gets back. So they're they're going for a bridge, right? Um, and let's say uh, let's say like ten miles. Well, I don't know how fast they're going, but they're running, right? And it says it takes and they a while. Are going so, like a long way. Yeah, but a ten mile run that takes like we'll say for bridgemen like three hours like i feel like that that i feel like well, that's okay. being yeah so you know and that bring them to like three or four people well, hold on you gotta run carrying a bridge and then the entire army has to cross all those bridges yeah that's true that would take a while so let's say the bridge run takes five hours right for like 10 miles yeah. or whatever that'd be like that brings from 130 to 630 so that's like evening yeah. so that makes sense and then they start their battle then yeah that's true and he yeah, says it's a long takes... battle 
Yeah, the battle takes an hour, hour and a half. Then we're, we're at like 8 p.m. If it's, you know, the summer, which I think I think it is, then the, that's when the sun starts going down. So. Uh, no, 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 Josh. If you will remember, they don't have seasons on Roshar. Seasons yeah, are yeah, just I know. That's what I was thinking about. Patterns. They have, the, well, they have like the weeping. They have seasons, like they, they call seasons just like large scale weather patterns. Yeah, like that's if it's true. Cold that's true. for a while, then it's mm-hmm. winter for a couple weeks. Based on where they are in the continent, they're like not at the equator. Mm-hmm. They're significantly south of the equator. Okay. They've got to be at least a temperate latitude. So, I don't know. I just feel like it's got to be a long-ass day on Roshar. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the way, the way I kind of broke it down, it, it could be realistic. It's not totally unrealistic. Maybe, maybe the bottom of the planet is permanently tilted towards the sun, and it doesn't fluctuate <laughs> like it does uh, in our planets. Because, you know, at the end of the day, he can always say, oh, it's magic, as the uh, explanation. And we're like, damn. Nothing, nah, he wins. Nothing we can do there. But okay, I think that yeah. just about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah, it's a good chatter. It's actiony, it's interesting, and you get like your first your first helper to the Kaladin cause. Yes, Rock and Teft sort of mm-hmm. chipping in a little bit. Yep. But yeah, okay. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We will be back in two weeks um, with our next episode. Yeah. We'd like to thank everyone so much for sticking with us through this um, long hiatus that we took. Um, we've just both been very busy with school. We're both seniors mm-hmm. in college right now, so we've been wrapping up um, difficult classes that we've been taking. Um, so we appreciate it to all our fans who are continuing to listen. And as always, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at TruthlessPod. Please email us whatever you want at TruthlessPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And as they say in the Stormlight Archives, life, life before, before death. death. Thank you oh so very much for listening to Truthless. Truthless is hosted and produced by Anthony Murphy-Nielsen and Josh Umbrell. It is edited by Anthony Murphy-Nielsen. The social media is run by Josh Umbrell. The art is by Josh Umbrell. The music is by Anthony Murphy-Nielsen. The lightning sound from Natural Sciences Corner is from zapsplot.com. As we said, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at TruthlessPod and email us at truthlesspod at gmail.com. See you next time.